to be together this afternoon. Thank you so much, song leaders, for leading us in worship this, this afternoon. Thank you so much, uh, Tony and Vita, for your incredible hearts and sharing for community contribution. Let's uh, be opening up our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's just so great to be in, in God's kingdom. You know, many, many years back, the famous Abraham Lincoln, 14th President of the United States, went to go and hear a, a, a well-known preacher of his day named Dr. Gurley. And as he listened to the sermon, you know, he was, he was impacted by it. Dr. Curley went to, just did a great job speaking and all those different things. And, and then they were walking back to the White House after the sermon. And the Secret Service guy that was with Abraham Lincoln turned to him and said, Hey, what did you think of that lesson? What did you think of that sermon? And Abraham Lincoln said, Well, it was thoughtfully crafted, well articulated, and expressively delivered. But it failed. Secret Service guy goes, what do you mean it failed? You said it was thoughtfully crafted, well-articulated, and expressively delivered. How could it fail? And Abraham Lincoln's response was, it failed because it failed to ask anything great of me. The title of our lesson this afternoon is Building a Great Church. Building a Great Church. And we're going to begin a Bible study in the book of Acts that should last about four different sessions. Every year after we go through our first principles, we, we like to cover the book of Acts because really it's so fundamental and so foundational to everything we do as a church trying to be Jesus' church. But today I want to ask you a question. And more than that, I want to ask you to ask yourself a question. If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says in my former book. Now, now, we know that the book of Acts was written by Luke. And so the former book that he's referring to is the book of Luke. He goes, in my former book, the book of Luke, Theophilus. Theophilus most likely was not a person. Theo means God, and Phyllis in the Greek means friend. And so he goes, in my former book, the book of Luke, to all friends of God. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. That's exactly what the book of Luke is all about. The Bible says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He spoke about the church. Amen. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. In fact, this was such a shocking event that the Bible records that the apostles were watching Jesus rise into the air, 
And they kept looking because they thought that Jesus would come back down. And as they were staring up in the sky, the angels had to come down and say, no, 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 guys, he's really gone this time. He's going to come back the same way that he left, but he's really gone. You know, right here, as we start off the book of Acts, we start off looking at Jesus' last words to his chosen apostles. The Bible records right here that over a period of 40 days after his resurrection, he met with them and spoke only about the kingdom of God. I mean, that that was so much on his heart that, that he just wanted to spend every moment that he could with his disciples over the course of 40 days preparing them for what was about to take place, the coming of God's kingdom, the coming of God's church. You know, we live in a generation where the idea of church has become so misconstrued. You know, according to the Center of Study of Global Christianity, I bet you didn't know that that existed. I didn't either, but Google said it exists. I thought Jesus was the center of it all, but apparently it says there's a center for the study of global Christianity. It says there are approximately 41,000 Christian denominations throughout the world. 41,000 Christian denominations throughout the world. And many are left asking, well, which one is the right one? You know, there's a famous preacher story about a, a guy who they found on a deserted island. All by himself, he had washed up ashore on this deserted island, had lived and survived there some, some time. And they found him, and they, they, they found alongside him were, were three different huts. And they go, well, what, what's that hut over there? He goes, well, that's my house. Okay. Well, you got one hut for your house. What's the other house? Or what's the other hut? He goes, well, that one's my house. That one's my church. Okay, you got your house and you got your church. What's the third hut? He goes, oh, that's where I used to go to church, that third hut. For so many people, that's what going to church is all about. Finding a church that matches what they think, finding a church that they like the programs in, finding a church that goes along with their way of thinking. And yet we understand that it's not about going to church, it's about being the church. It's not about finding a church that teaches about Jesus. It's about being a church that truly follows Jesus. If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? But you know right here in verse 8, in Jesus' last words to his disciples, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My first point this afternoon is if we're going to build a great church, it's got to start with a great commission. It's going to start with a great commission. You know, right here we find that Jesus commanded his disciples to spread the gospel, to make the disciples or to make other disciples throughout the entire known world, starting in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then finally to the ends of the earth. Throughout the book of Acts, we find that the apostles obeyed Jesus' great commission. And the entire book of Acts is all about them fulfilling this command. In chapter 2, verse 5, we find that the church starts in Jerusalem. In chapter 8, verse 1, we find that it expands to Judea and Samaria. And finally, in chapter 10, verse 34, it starts to spread throughout the entire known world. You go, well, how far did it go? Well, the book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome, where he writes the book of Colossians in 60 A.D., 
Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. The Bible says the gospel is bearing fruits and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Verse 23, the second part. It says this is the gospel that you heard and that has been, past tense, proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. In just 30 years, from 29 A.D. to 60 A.D., we find that the apostles had spread the gospel without cell phones, without the internet, without airplanes and cars, throughout the entire known world. And we believe that if they did it in the first century, that we can do it in the 21st century. You with me right here, church? You know, it's been so exciting this past year, in spite of COVID-19, in spite of the global pandemic that it is, we've gotten to see so many church planted plantings. We saw a church planted in Amsterdam, Netherlands. We got to see a church planted in Campinas, Brazil. In Guam, Guam. Guam is just Guam. That's it. In Salt Lake City, Utah. We saw a supplemental team get sent to Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. We got to see and we got to even participate in the inaugural service of the Minneapolis-St. Paul church planting. Amen. We got to hear about or see Tucson, Arizona planted. We got to see a church planted in Tijuana, Mexico. And very soon here, we're going to get to see a church planted in Kolkata, India. Is that exciting or not? That God's word is spreading throughout the entire known world. Yes, it happened in the first century, but it's going to happen in the 21st century too. Amen. You know, also exciting is this year, although we weren't expecting it, there was a, a minister of a small church in Thomasville, Georgia. And he heard about what we were doing in the movement. He goes, I want to be a part of it. He goes, but i got to repent first. He repents, but then he calls his whole church to repent. Wow. And as a church, they joined our movement, and now we have the TNT, Tallahassee and Thomasville International Christian Church. Is that awesome? Well, if that can happen during COVID, what about next year? Well, next year, we're planning to send a church to Bogalu City, Philippines, St. Petersburg, Russia, Brazzaville, Congo, Yunda, Cameroon, Edinburgh, Scotland. Hey! You dropped the rock! Lisbon, Portugal. Colombo, Sri Lanka. Crouching Tiger number three. A secret underground church in China. Manama, Bahrain. Boise, Idaho. You gotta get them farmers too. Dover, Delaware, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and St. Louis, Missouri. But then what about 2022? Well, that's when we're going to go to Ottawa. If the disciples could do it in the first century without cell phones, without cars. 
without airplanes. And I know that the, you, you millennials, this is a hard one, without the internet. <laughs> then you must believe that it's possible to do it here in the 21st century. If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. You know, here we find that God's Spirit comes down at Pentecost and really officially initiates the, the church, the kingdom. And in verse 22, we find Peter stands up to, to preach and to usher in the first fruits of that kingdom, of God's church here on earth. And so right here, Peter, in verse 22, it says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? My second point, great message. You see, if we're going to build a great church, we've got to follow and obey the Great Commission. But we also got to understand that we get to preach a great message. You know, right here we find Peter, the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. Twice to a little slave girl. He gets in front of the most influential people in all of Jerusalem. Nations from around the world, all represented by people from their nation. And Peter gets up and he goes, this man was handed over to you. Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him on the cross. Of course, these people weren't physically present when Jesus was crucified. But what Peter was saying is that because they were sinful, and because Jesus died for our sins, everyone who has sin is therefore responsible for putting Jesus up on the cross. The Bible said when they heard this in verse 36, or 37, they were cut to the heart, and they go, Peter, what do we got to do? So I got to ask, does the Bible cut your heart? Does the Bible cut your heart? Amen. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I saw the, the movie The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. And there's this scene, there's this scene in the movie where he pulls, pulls out this, this samurai sword. And, and he throws this, this, like, scarf up in the air, and it just kind of floats down so subtly. And it just very, very slightly touches the edge of that samurai sword and just cuts it right in two. And I remember watching that and go, whoa, I've got a little pocket knife. I want to make this as sharp as that. And so I, I went out to my dad's little wood shop, and I got a little file, and I started filing my little pocket knife. It was a little Swiss Army pocket knife. And I was like, I'm going to make this thing crank. And I sharpened that thing, and it got sharp. And all of a sudden, when I was playing with it, it folded in, and it cut my finger down to the bone. I, I still have the scar. You guys can check it out later. Kind of cool. And, and I, remember, I remember that when it happened, I, I was shocked at first, but then I just got angry. And so I got down and I picked up that pocket knife and just looked at it and just, boom, threw it on the ground, just shattered into a bunch of people. Pieces, not people. 
Swiss Army got everything in it. Trust me. It, it just shattered. And you know, I think a lot of us respond to the Bible the same way. We're all happy. Well, this is so awesome. This is so incredible. It's amazing. And then we reach a scripture that cuts our heart. Oh, no, nah, this ain't for me. And we have the same response. We push the word of God away. And rather than changing our life to match the scriptures, we start to try to change the scriptures to match our own life. You see, when you preach a great message, it's going to be a message that cuts people's hearts. It's going to be a message that cuts your heart. And right here they go, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter goes in verse 38 and says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what an incredible message. That through the process of repenting, of being baptized, participating with what Jesus did on the cross, being, being buried with Jesus in water, and then coming out of the water and being resurrected with Jesus, that you could have all of your sins forgiven. Yes, Kevin, all of your sins <laughs> forgiven. Incredible. What a great message. What a great message. A message of reconciliation, of redemption, of forgiveness. You know, for me growing up, I, I've always uh, already shared about my, my traumatic childhood when it came to my pets. I, I was not so much of an animal. My wife is a, a huge animal person. For me, I'm not so much of an animal person. All of my pets died like within weeks. I had dogs that lasted one week, two weeks. I had a chicken one time that lasted one hour. Literally one hour. My dad brought him home. We tied him up. Came out, he was no longer with us. I, I have no idea what happened to him. But all my pets died, and so I never really got too attached to animals, and I didn't get too comfortable around animals. And I'll never forget, there was this one experience where we had a little swing set outside, and I was, I was hanging out with my siblings. Now, I have, I have three siblings, and we're all born within five years. So I have an older sister, an older brother, and then I have a younger brother. And so I'm number three on the list. And I'll never forget this, but I was, I was outside, and I was on the swing, and my sister, my older sister, by three and a half years, was pushing me on the swing. My brothers were doing their own thing, the teeter-totter or whatever it was, and all of a sudden, into our yard walks these two gigantic dogs. <laughs> That's how I felt. They were that big. And I, I, I mean, my, my siblings freaked out. I freaked out. They ran inside. Slammed the door behind them and left me on the swings. <laughs> I mean, my brothers were gone. My sister, gone. And I'm just on the swing. <laughs> and I just start freaking out. Oh my God. I mean, these dogs, I was convinced I was dead. I was going to get eaten. All of a sudden, no joke. All of a sudden, I look over, and I see through this glass door my sister. And she's got this look in her face. Just... <laughs> now, my sister's only three and a half year, oh, years old, and I was only like four years old. So she's only like seven years old at this point. She swings the door open. And I swear, this was like a military movie. <laughs> this is like a, a, a movie of heroism. I could go on and on and on. She deserves the Medal of Honor in my opinion. And she starts running out towards me. The dogs are ready to eat me. Slow mo. 
And she just grabs me, pulls me off the swings, runs inside the house, shuts the door. I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. Turns out they were our neighbor's dogs and they were super nice dogs. But I remember that moment, that moment of being saved. Wow. My sister, she almost died for me. What an incredible, incredible feeling. And in a sense, although in a much more serious way, that that's what we get to have through Jesus. That Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself so that we can be forgiven. You know, there's nothing more exciting than being saved. And if you're not fired up this afternoon, you're either one, not saved, or you've forgotten what it is to be saved. Wow. You see, it's time to get fired up about God. If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? You know, when you obey a great commission, and you preach a great message, you're going to get to have great impact. Let's go to verse 41. In Acts 2, verse 41, the Bible says that those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that incredible? I mean, 3,000 accepted the message and were baptized in one day. Now, the Bible doesn't say how many people did not accept the message. But we know that that's a reality of Scripture. Yeah. That according to the, the Bible, many times, Bible is preached, many did not accept the message. There was millions of people, probably millions of people there at Pentecost. And yet 3,000 of those people got baptized. But you know, nobody remembers the ones who walk away. They only remember the 3,000. Some critics have said it would have been impossible for people to have baptized 3,000 people in one day. I mean, they only started with just the 11 apostles. I mean, how could they baptize 3,000 people in one day? Well, the thing is, here in the church, we don't believe in addition. We believe in multiplication. That when somebody gets baptized, they can go help baptize the next person. And as you get more and more people saved, the more and more workers you have to baptize other people. And so as disciples make disciples that make disciples, you're going to get to have a great impact. You with me? Well, how many disciples were there exactly in the beginning? Go to chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. The Bible says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering a whopping 120. Uh, didn't Jesus feed 5,000? What happened to the 4,880? Thank you, brother. I was at work right there. But you know, the Bible says right here that there was only 120 disciples. You go back a little bit earlier, it says in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now that's pretty cool. That some of the people that were there in that 120 were Jesus' mom and brothers, all of whom opposed Jesus while he was doing his ministry. The same Mother Mary 
that, that an angel showed up to and said, you're going to have Jesus, the Son of God. Let her oppose Jesus. But then after she saw him die on the cross, she was won over. And she too became a disciple. You know, I know for me, when I became a disciple, I thought my mom would be so excited about the changes that I was making. But in fact, when I shared with her what I was doing, she began to persecute. Now, my mom and my family was always the spiritual one. And myself and my brother were always the unspiritual ones. <laughs> and so when I repented, I thought that she would approve. But, but when she discovered that my doctrine wasn't what she believed, she started to persecute me. In fact, she even called us a cult. Her preacher said, hey, stay away from that group. It's a cult. She goes, well, I, I, know, I know what you're saying. Okay, well, I'm not sure because they're really changing. They're really repenting. Over time, although she disagreed with us, she stopped persecuting us, and just, it just was a no topic. We just could not bring it up at the dinner table or in, in conversation whatsoever, or else we'd just get shut down. That eventually led way into my mom being convinced that we were so wrong that she was going to prove us wrong. She goes, you know what? I'm going to study the Bible for the first time ever to prove them wrong. <laughs> and so she got in the Bible, and the more she started to prove us wrong, the more she proved herself wrong. And she's like, oh my gosh. She goes, no way John the Baptist teaches baptism. I'm going to figure this out. That's why they call him John the Baptist. <laughs> he did teach baptism. Well, that's John the Baptist. No way Jesus taught baptism. Dang it, Jesus taught baptism too. Well, what about the apostles? They couldn't have taught it. They taught it too. Gosh darn it, they're right. My mom on her own came to the conclusion that we were right. But she still wasn't willing to apply the scriptures to her own life. She goes, yeah, they're right. They're right. I think they're doing a great job. Keep, keep doing a good job, sons. <laughs> it wasn't until 2008, seven years after I got baptized, that my mom finally decided to turn herself in. Amen. And I'll never forget, it was before Christmas, she goes, I'm ready to study the Bible. Wow. Three days later, she became your sister in Christ. You see, the truth is, you never know, you never know who your life's going to have an impact on. And oftentimes, it's those that persecute you the most that are most impacted by you. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow, what an incredible scripture. The Bible says that once those 3,000 were baptized, there was no distinction between them and the original 120. That, that they all had the same level of devotion. They were all devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were all devoted to the fellowship. They were all devoted to the breaking of bread. And they were all devoted to prayer. See, it's not about finding a church that teaches Jesus. It's about being a church that truly follows Jesus. But you know, it's interesting right here. In verse 46, it says they met together every day. But then in verse 47, it says the Lord added to their number every day. Well, what can we conclude that they were doing together every day? They were preaching the word of God. 
And when you're obeying the Great Commission, you're preaching a great message. You're going to have great impact. And so the Bible says that Jesus added, or the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Go to chapter 4, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. We're not even recording the women right here. And we know that the women are typically more spiritual than the men. Do I need to bring up the mature Christians class first principle scores? But the Bible says... The Bible says that the men, the number of men, grew to 5,000. Chapter 5, verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13. I, I love this scripture. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. You know what? In the world, I mean, this sounds like a contradiction. No one dared join them. But more and more kept getting added to their number. They couldn't figure out what was going on. Like, oh, yeah, that group. Don't you dare go and join them. Hey, you should join. <laughs> they got something figured out over there. Chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was what? Increasing. Increasing. Well, that's got how it's got to be in, in these days. Amen. Amen. Verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased what? Rapidly. Rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? Where you now start to see other church leaders from denominational churches jumping on board with what we're doing. And, and maybe even Catholic priests going, wow, we, we've gotten it wrong. We're going to start joining the new movement and really go after making true disciples of Jesus. Chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. Chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, to the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Wow. Right here we find that as they preached and became more effective at preaching and sharing their faith, more and more people became disciples, more and more people believed. Verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Chapter 16, verse 4. Got to keep up. Chapter 16, verse 4. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now, now the churches outside of Jerusalem are starting to grow daily in number. See, back, back there in Acts chapter 2, it was only the Jerusalem church that was growing daily. Now churches outside, now there's growing so much that they're adding to their number daily those who are being saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 4. Well, I read that one. <laughs> Acts chapter 17, verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. 
In the Revised Standard Version, the Bible says, these are the men who've turned the world upside down. These are the men who've turned the world upside down. Now, there was a man who wanted to change the world, and he tried and went after it, worked as hard as he could, got into politics, tried to create programs for third world countries, and at the end of the day, he fell short. Couldn't change the world. He goes, well, if I can't change the world, I can at least try and change my country. Once again, got involved with political leaders in his own country, got involved with different programs to create a better environment for his countrymen, and yet again, through trying to change his country, he failed. He goes, well, if I can't change the world, I can't change the country, maybe I'll just change my province. When after changing his province, introduced new legislation, this time he was in politics, still couldn't change his own province, once again, he failed. He goes, well, if I can't change the world, can't change the country, can't change my province, maybe I'll just change my city. When after trying to fix up his city, every time he saw graffiti on a wall, he painted over it. Every time he, he saw something bad going on, he tried to stop it. And, and throughout all his effort, despite everything he was doing, he failed once again in trying to change his city. He goes, well, if I can't change my world or the world, if I can't change my country, can't change my province, can't change my city, maybe at least I can change my family. Started trying to change his wife. Some of us know how that goes. <laughs> that too proved to be futile. He failed. And he goes, you know, if I can't change the world, I can't change my country, I can't change my province, can't change my city, can't even change my family. Maybe I'll just focus on changing myself. He changed himself, and all of a sudden, his wife was, was treating him differently. All of a sudden, his wife was a lot sweeter at home. His kids wanted to be like him, and all of a sudden, through changing himself, he was able to change his family. Once his family changed, they became more influential in the city that he was a part of, and through their efforts, they changed their entire city. Once their city changed, the province took notice, and the province changed too. Once the province changed, the country took notice, and the country changed too. And when the country changed, the world changed. But it all starts with him changing himself. Amen. If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? Great message, great commission, great impact. Fourth point, great power. You know, in chapter 3 of Acts, we find that Peter... As he's out preaching, is met by this guy, a, a beggar, a crippled beggar named Beautiful. Now, I don't know why some of your moms didn't name you that when you were, when you were born, but this guy's name was Beautiful. But, but his life really was anything but. And he asked Peter for some money, and Peter goes, silver and gold I do not have. Can you relate? Yeah. But he goes, what I have I give you. Get up and walk. And beautiful, all of a sudden, gets up and walks. Oh, this is incredible. Well, the whole town gathers to see the miracle and to hear Peter preach. Peter starts preaching all about Jesus. But now all the political leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the temple guard, get ticked off because Peter is preaching a different message than their message. And so they arrest Peter and have him thrown in prison. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 4 in verse, three, in verse 5. The Bible says, the next day, the rulers and the elders in the law met in Jerusalem, 
And as the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given but to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, the power, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. <laughs> this is the same guy who denied Jesus three times, twice to a little servant girl. And yet here, when confronted before the entire Sanhedrin, while being confronted before the most influential and powerful men of his day, he goes, then know this, it is by the name of Jesus that this man was healed. The Bible says when they saw the courage of Peter and John, that that was the thing. That made them stand out. The courage, the power in their lives. And they took note that they had been with Jesus. They go, I don't know how this would have happened. I mean, these guys are unschooled, ordinary men. You know, very interestingly, the, the Greek word there for ordinary is the word idiote, <laughs> which we literally get the English word idiot from. <laughs> and so essentially what they're saying right here is like, man, I don't know how these guys were just so fired up and so courageous, so powerful. I mean, these guys are unschooled idiots. <laughs> but truly, God turns a mess into a message. He turns a test into a testimony. He turns trial into triumph. And he turns a victim into a victor. And you might even say that he turns the ordinary, the idiotes, into the extraordinary. That's the power of God. Well, right here, we find that the Sanhedrin confers together, and they go, man, how do we stop this thing from spreading? This thing is just getting out of hand. And so the Sanhedrin, made up of 70 of the brightest minds in all of Israel, gather together to figure out, how do we stop this thing from spreading? And you know what? They figured it out. They command them to stop preaching about Jesus. And isn't that true? That when you stop preaching about Jesus, Christianity stops? And yet in chapter 4, verse 19, we find Peter's response to them commanding him not to preach. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I mean, he was really old. 40 years old. Really old. Now we're going to focus in on prayer, okay? <laughs> on the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders and said to them, they heard this message, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, your father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders throughout the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You know what's amazing right here? After being threatened by the government to stop preaching, Peter goes, we just got to go pray. Gets all the disciples together. He goes, guys, let's pray. But you know, it's interesting. He prays, and he goes, Lord, consider the threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice, Peter does not say, hey, consider the threats, and please take them away. Peter did not pray for God to remove the challenge. He prayed for God to give him the power to overcome the challenge. You see, so many of us, whenever we're challenged, have no problem praying to remove the challenge. God, this bill, if you could just send a check in the mail. And it's never happened before. Every time I've asked you before, it's always been no. But this one time, God, just please help me win the lottery. Take the challenge away. God's not dumb. He knows what's going to happen if you remove the challenge. You're not going to ask him for anything anymore. God doesn't want you to remove the challenge. The challenge is there by God. God put it there. God wants you to pray for the power and the strength to overcome the challenge. And that's what Peter prayed for right here. How often do you rely on God's power in your life? His great power. If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? You know, I'll never forget my son. When he was four years old, he really wanted to have a Captain America mask. He had Captain America pajamas. But he didn't have the mask, and so in his mind, he wasn't Captain America (laughs) until he got the mask. And I I kid you not, every night before bed, when we would pray with my son, he would pray, God, please give me a Captain America mask. Please, God, please. And this is the the most amazing thing. We we were at the mall, and we were sharing our faith at the mall, and and we, we went to a little play area that was in the mall. And so we're sitting down, Kelly and I were hanging out, talking on a, you know, talking on our phones. And then my son went off to the playground, and he was playing in the playground. All of a sudden, he comes back to us with a a, a, a Captain America mask. Now, we were were both like, son, how did you get a Captain America mask at the playground right here? He goes, mom, dad, it's crazy, but I I met this other kid, and my son could not articulate this well, but I'm just translating what he was communicating to us. He goes, I've met this other kid in the playground, and he gave me this Captain America mask. Now, I don't want to go to prison because my son stole someone else's mask. So I'm like, son, son, that's amazing. But let's, let's go back, and let's talk to the kid and his parents. right? So we go back, and we go, hey, thank you so much for giving my son the mask. We, we couldn't take this from you. And, and then his mom was right there. She goes, oh, no, 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 please have it. In fact, my, my son, he doesn't really play with that anymore, so we would love to give it to your son, a Captain America mask. How incredible is I mean, what are the odds? I mean, I'm, within, within weeks of him praying this, 
He had a Captain America mask. I mean, my son believed in the power of God. The next, the next day, he prayed for a Ninja Turtle outfit. But, but do you believe? But do you believe? But do you believe that God can give you the power to overcome the challenges of your life? You see, God gives us great power so that we can do great powerful things for God. My fifth point, great examples. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. The Bible says all the believers were in one heart and mind. And that's how we need to be in our church here. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, this is where the campus ministry gets really fired up, and the marriage ministry goes, oh. Because the campus brothers got no problem coming over and asking for food. Let me tell you. Well, says they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work at them all, in them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Is that awesome? The Bible says right here that there was such a heart of unity, such a spirit of unity and of evangelism that people were willing to do whatever it took to advance the gospel and to take care of one another. In fact, right here, the Bible brings up the example of Joseph. The Bible says that he sold a field and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He didn't even ask, hey, what are you going to do with this? He goes, hey, whatever you guys think. And he put it at the apostles' feet. The Bible, the Bible says that the apostles were so moved by this that they started to call Joseph Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. In other words, dude, you are so encouraging. Your dad must have been encouragement. <laughs> You are like the son of your dad, encouragement. Like, I don't know, man. You're so encouraging that it runs in your blood. Like, that's, I mean, wow. The son of encouragement. You know, I'm so excited personally to contribute to our remembrance contribution. Yes. Why? Because I let Joseph believe in doing whatever it takes to advance the gospel. And it's my privilege, really, to give just a fraction of what God's given to me back so that Isaiah can be put on staff, Amen. which ultimately means more people will be one. Amen. That's really what it means. Amen. You know, I really appreciate uh, Adriana's heart. Come on, Adriana! <laughs> I'm going to tease her a little bit here. It wouldn't be me if I didn't. That's a good point, But you know, as, as a young Christian, uh, we, we challenge the church to, to give six times what we normally give on a weekly Sunday. And she texts me, she goes, hey, bro, um, this is, this is a little bit, I don't know if I could do this. I'm just a poor college student. I don't know if I can handle giving six times what I normally give every single week. She goes, if it was just one time, that'd be okay. But I mean, every week, six times, I mean, that's a lot. I, I go, sis, so let me just break it down here. It's six times one time, and then you go back to your normal contribution. She goes, oh, oh yeah, no problem, I got it. <laughs> 
that next week, she put in her whole six times missions contribution. Amen? But I could ask, like Barnabas, does encouragement run in your DNA? Great question. I mean, if everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? Well, let's go to chapter 5, verse 1. Let's see, let's see a good contrast to Joseph. In chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira. Isn't that awesome? They were so unified. They were together. Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira. Just sounds like such a sweet couple. They also sold a piece of property. Wow. What an incredible couple. Completely unified. Selling stuff for the kingdom of God. With his wife's full knowledge, they communicated well. He kept back part of the money. He was frugal with the money for himself. Ooh. And brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Like, bro, you could have just told us you didn't want to give as much. Would have been fine, but you decided to lie about it. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Let's read that one more time. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and it wasn't even COVID. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened to her husband. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yeah, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came. Can you imagine that? <laughs> hey, bro, how's your quiet? Whoa. What happened to Ananias? Bro, he lied about his control. <laughs> that did that? <laughs> I got to get open about some stuff. I mean, can you imagine? The Bible says they took him out, buried him, come back, and then they find his wife in the same place. Verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You know, in some ways, you you look at the story and you go, wow, what a harsh dealing of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Why would God deal so harshly with this couple? It's a good question. You know, some people think that God is a different God in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. Like somehow he got baptized in between. And, and now we have the Christian version of God. He was, like, he was like the Sharia law version before, but now he's like the Christian version. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is the same. Why did he deal so harshly? Exodus twenty twenty, I think, says it all. The fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. You see, God gives us examples of people to show us what to do. But God also makes examples of people to show us what not to do. You know, I I so appreciate the example that we have in the church of all those that are on staff. 
Amber, Liz, Brittany, Kevin, and soon-to-be Isaiah. You know, they, they don't make, you don't, you don't get put on staff because you're going to advance in life financially. <laughs> Everybody I ever heard in the ministry starts going the other direction. Hey, bro, you broke? Yeah, I'm broke. We, t- we take turns treating each other. When someone's, when someone's broke, somebody is not broke. You're just like, hey, well, which one of us is not broke right now? Okay, cool. You buy the coffee. You know, Amber and Liz are now both working part-time at a restaurant because the church can't afford to pay them enough to be full-time, full-time. Kevin and Brittany started doing Instacart. We, we caught them in the grocery store the other night. <laughs> they were buying groceries for other people for, for like 20 bucks. They're like, hey, whatever we got to do. Isaiah, likewise, will, will work two, two nights every other week at a job at a hospital. I know my wife and I have gone through periods of time where we've given plasma for six months. Worked Uber for almost a year. Well, whatever it takes. That's the example that the scripture gives us. What about you? If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? You know, in chapter six, prejudice enters the church. You thought it was just a a 21st century problem. Prejudice enters the church, and so they raise up leadership to deal with that prejudice because the apostles saw it as not being right to neglect the ministry of the word of God to take care of the needs of the church. They saw that the church needed to be outwardly focused, that they needed to obey the Great Commission and advance the kingdom forward. One of the guys that they raise up is Stephen. We'll pick up the story in chapter 7, or chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Chapter 7, verse 51. In verse 51, it says, you stiff-necked people, as, as, as Stephen is now preaching at the religious leaders. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. (laughs) Pretty weird if you ask me. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, you see, I see heaven open, and, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this again, a sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. You know, right here, 
we find the first Christian martyr, Stephen. The Bible says that while they were stoning him, he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this against them. And then he says, receive my spirit. Who does that sound like? You see, Stephen followed a great example and therefore became a great example. But you know what's interesting? Is the Bible says that when Stephen was being stoned, he looked up towards the heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In every other gospel account, in every other biblical account, Jesus was always sitting at the right hand of God. But as if Jesus was saluting the first Christian martyr, he stands as Stephen is stoned to death. You go, why? Well, we remember that great commission. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Greek word, therefore, the word witness is the word martis. You can't be a witness without being a martyr. And right here, Stephen becomes that witness. He becomes that martyr. That starts off the scattering of disciples, which brings us to our last point, great joy. Wow. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We'll close here. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city of Samaria to proclaim the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs it performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. That's kind of how some of us were when we got baptized. I mean, some of you got a lot of shrinking. Tim Callio was a shrieker. Wow. Come out. Come out. I mean, them demons did not want to come out. Verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. You see, when the spirits come out, the joy comes in. And right here, as persecution breaks out because of Stephen's death, the disciples scatter. And I don't think that the Pharisees realized that by scattering the disciples, at the end of the day, they were only scattering the word of God. And as the word of God was scattered, people began to repent. And when people began to repent, there was great joy in those cities. You know, Philip right here was a one-man evangelism plan. What can one man do? What can you do? If everyone were just like me, what kind of church would this be? As we close, we find that Jesus' church had a great commission. They preached a great message. They had great impact. They spoke with great boldness. They caused great fear. They overcame great obstacles because they had a great power. They were led by great examples, great leaders who made great sacrifices. They suffered great loss, but at the end of the day, they were filled with great joy. Wow. Jesus' church will always be a great church. And as long as we strive to build Jesus' church, we will be building a great 
church if everyone were just like me? What kind of church would this be? I love you guys. God bless. Yeah.